My name is Megan. I'm Jess. And we are Friends, Friends with Bros. Welcome to our podcast, Don't Worry About My Hair. This podcast is a platform to talk about experiences from the perspective of two young adult black women on topics that influence our lives every day, including relationships, health and wellness, entertainment, careers, and so much more. We hope this space offers relatable conversations while providing some inspiring content to support your growth. Now. Hi, everybody. Welcome Hi. to Story About My Hair. <laughs> I'm Megan. That's Jess. And we have a special guest with us today. Her name is Hope. We will second. But kind of wanted to talk this week about something that is a little heavy, uh, but very pertinent and important right now. So Jess and I were thinking a few weeks ago with the case of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor that we really wanted to talk about kind of what's going on in our country uh, involving racism, which once again, I know is a tough word and a touchy subject for a lot of people, but it's something that needs to be talked about. So we had kind of planned for it and had a, had a loose plan going and we invited Hope to, to chat because she has some excellent um, expertise and she's really done a lot of work in this area. But... Um, with the events of the past week, we kind of scrapped our plans because it just put, I don't know, I can only speak for myself, it really put such a such a big um, impact in on this week that it made me just even think about things differently. So um, I've been hurting. I know a lot of other people have been hurting. And so that's what we kind of want to talk about today is, is how, what do we do with what we're seeing right now? and what we're feeling and everything that's going on in our heads and what we're experiencing as human of all kinds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Hope, do you want to, do you want to introduce yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, I'm Hope Um, and uh, I know Megan and Jess from work, which is so wonderful. Um, when they say I've done work around racism and social justice, it's um, really because it, it became a passion of mine through my clinical care. I realized how important it was for me to become um, very intentional about being anti-racist because I realized how much of my own biases were impacting my work. Um, and so, you know, that kind of set me on a path to research and then talking um, through our department and at different departments throughout my uh, hospital where I work. So it, it's kind of become now like this thing, um, this thing that I think about kind of all the time. Um, so I am thrilled to be here and talk about it. And yeah, I guess my social location, just as a heads up, is that I'm South Korean adoptee to a white family. So I very much have like walked the line of like having internalized a lot of white um, upbringing and thoughts and I'm realizing like that's not necessarily um, true to, to who I am as, a, as my racial identity. So I've had to do a lot of like work through that conflict. Um, and that's kind of I think, my personal passion too. Thanks, Hope. Thank you for that self-introduction. Yes. 
So for those of you who might be unaware, the two events that happened this week, one was there was a lady in Central Park, uh, New York City, who called the police on a black man who um, was out there trying to do birding, observe the birds. And they were in a section of the park where her dog needed to be leashed. So he reminded her of that rule. She became upset and threatened first to call the police on him. And she said, I'm gonna call the police and tell them there's an African-American man threatening me. And he was like, okay, you can do it. And so she did call the police and through that encounter, I'm glad that he was recording it. You can hear her kind of ramp up her voice, um, increase the urgency of the police getting there and repeatedly saying, there's an African-American man threatening me and my dog. All the while she's doing this, she is grabbing her dog by the collar and choking her dog, really, mm -hmm. um, and trying to gain control over the dog as she's jumping around. And yeah, she's, she's standing far away from the man, but still saying that she is being threatened by him. Um, so I just feel like we weren't even able to catch our breath from that one because almost immediately right after that was when um, George Floyd was murdered on the street by a, by the police. So that was, uh, I couldn't even watch the video. I don't know about you guys, but I just could yeah. not bear the sight of watching someone die on camera. Um, but it's just, it's, it's caused a lot of feelings this week. I was speaking to you guys yesterday a little bit about how I just feel like burnt out. Mm -hmm. I'm emotionally exhausted this week. It's all I could think about every single moment. Working at a hospital, we work with a lot of uh, families of color and specifically I work with babies but uh, I had two patients this week who were black young babies and every time I walked into their their room their parents were watching the news and it was just like a just an odd silence we had in the room like mm -hmm. just watching this all go on so yeah that's that's kind of where I am right now I'm just feeling really burnt out um, I keep reposting and trying to post things that people can do but it's just, it's, it's, it's wearing on me. Yeah. yeah. I think I feel the same. I think it's kind of like, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, well, so even more funny enough, Megan brought this topic up a few months ago. And sadly enough, I really can't remember what the incident was that prompted you to say, should we talk about this? And I was like, no, I don't feel like it. Like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to bring it up in this podcast. I don't want to do it. I really wish I could remember which one it was, but that's sad that there's so many, but I was like, no, I don't want to. And then the Ahmaud Aubrey case came up and I was like, I texted Megan privately and I was like, I guess we do need to talk about it. And that's when it was like, okay, well, what can we say? And then this week with everything, I was like, oh my God, like now do we talk? Cause it feels like, I think it's kind of like that surge, right? Like there's like this surge of like, Everybody's yeah. everybody wants to be an ally. Everybody is trying to figure out what to do. And then the surge will die down, you know, kind of like with Ahmaud Aubrey. Like there was a surge. It was a crazy surge that happened, what, like two to three weeks ago. The week uh -huh. after it kind of died down. And like, mm -hmm. we're still thinking about it. We're still aware of it. We're still living it and mm -hmm. still having to. I, I remember a colleague of mine reached out and I said something like, I mean, for my whole life, I wonder, like, I get worried of if my husband's running late. And I told him this, he was like, are you serious? Like when he's running late and I know he's supposed to be home or if he's like, I'm on my way home. And I'm like, oof, it's been an hour. And it takes about 40 minutes to get home. 
Did he get stopped by the police? Will he be coming home? Is he okay? Does he know how to handle himself? Like, you know, all of these things that it's like, nobody should have to worry about it. And it's funny that people don't worry about it. Whereas I'm just like, it's naturally innate in me. And it's not, it's not anything. It's kind of like when you, you know, when you wear high heels and you worry you're going to fall, like that just comes with it. Like, it's kind of like, this is just something that it's natural. Like, I don't, I don't think twice about it. I don't think it, it, it probably wears on me, but to me, it's just been my whole, my whole relationship, my whole situation with any black man. Like, where's my brother? Is he coming home? Is he all right? What should I be wondering? Like, that's just like what it is. And, um, yeah, it feels like one of those things where this week I'm like, all right, we can, we can talk about it still because now this is very relevant. Um, but like, I think I feel a mix of, I don't want to talk about it because I just don't want to be the person that people feel like, oh, Jess knows about this because that, and, and I think we've talked on previous episodes, like that's been the thing where it's like, oh, well, let's ask Jess, like, let's reach out to Jess. Like, I feel like I have a pretty wide circle of different backgrounds, ethnicities, races, like all of that. But I just don't want them to be like, let's talk to Jess. Let's ask her. Um, but I also don't feel like over-validating people. Like, I just feel like now, like you said, there is a surge of people coming on social media and being really good, great allies. And I'm like, awesome. And then I'm going to the next story. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to like, feel like I'm supposed to acknowledge, like, thank you so much for being a human. Or if it's just like, no, I'm going to keep going. And then I'm going to sit here and watch my TikTok dances because I'm just tired. Yeah. 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 That's, I, that's big. Yeah. I appreciate both of you guys. I feel like putting out the energy and, and creating the space to even have this conversation because it is a, a, a taxing thing for people of color to do this and kind of be the ones to push a conversation forward if people are not talking about it. Um, and so I, I think I really appreciate just how much energy and like giving that you guys are doing and that this is like a very intentional giving. Like I, I agree. I think, you know, if people are putting out there that they want to be able to teach and share a resource, like seek that out. Don't necessarily seek out your friends of color just because you think that they're going to be able to teach you or tell you like a new opinion or a perspective. Like I feel like so much of the work that we have to do is like on us and it shouldn't be taxing to our friends around that. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. That always it makes me feel like a, a token friend when people do that. And I know a lot of times that it's very well intended and they, yeah, just want information, but I'm like, I can't be your, your black Google. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> Google exists. Just use Google. <laughs> I know oh, Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Dictionary, not your black Google. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so let's get to the root of it, shall we? Oh. <laughs> we'll go there. So, uh, I appreciated about Hope was that she, um, like she had mentioned before, she'd done some of this work at our uh, at our hospital and teaching groups of people, um, our department, and then I saw her uh, present at a, a art therapy conference as well, um, talking about some of the biases that we all hold from growing up in the society that we did, and I just think that's very important for us to kind of start there and lay the foundation of um, of how we all have been kind of affected by the society that we're in. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think everyone has bias. Um, I think a big thing that the one uh, mentor that I have at our work has taught me is that if you have a brain, you have bias. So um, it could be simple biases like preferences. Um, like for me, like I tend to think coffee works better than tea in terms of like amping me up for the day. That's just, it's just my perception. It's my bias. I will always choose coffee over tea if I can. Um, coffee doesn't like me so much, but that's like a whole other thing. (laughs) It makes me crazy. Um, so, but I will say that, you know, that, that is a very simple thing, but that was taught to me because I took in messages from TV from my family that coffee is the best. It works the best. It um, is the most efficient. It it tastes really good. You know, Um, all those messages kind of led me to create this perception. And um, that happens for everything because humans learn to have patterns and they have, um, you know, the way we connect our thoughts and our feelings really tie together in such like a crazy web that now that if someone were to say like, hope you can't have coffee anymore. Like I'm going to be like, what? <laughs> like I will take it personally. Right. Like I'm going to feel it almost like, like, no, like do not take this away from me. Right. Like, um, so bias, you know, is, but, but I never set out to be like, I'm going to choose coffee as my favorite thing. And I'm going like, I've never consciously had any of those thoughts, right? This all just kind of happened throughout my life. Um, And that happens with people. Um, And I think one thing that, you know, uh, the biggest thing we can realize as people growing up in America is that our entire nation was founded with a history and intentional process of racism um, to to favor white people over black people um, and white people over any person of color, um, you know, this was, this was in everything, our medical uh, institutions, the way that districts were set up called redlining, like it's pervasive. Um, So I think we have to realize that if we are living in America that was founded in racism, that then we have biases that are racist, right? Um, We're going to have a bias against, so I think and a clear example is um, how we hold uh, standards for um, government officials. So uh, President Barack Obama had to be this amazing person. He had to be Harvard Law graduate, you know, well-spoken, um, perfect in his um integrity. He had to be so careful about everything, whereas we also have government officials who just they can say whatever, do whatever, and somehow they're still allowed to function and there's not a consequence. Um, so I think, you know, our bias has told us that um, in order for us to feel comfortable with Black men, they have to act and do a certain way, right? Um, yeah. And um, those expectations, those things are set by white thoughts are biased and, and, and white people in power. Um, and so our job is to realize like we have this bias that favors whiteness over blackness mm-hmm. um, because of, our, our, again, all the messages we've taken in everything. And, it, and it's important to distinguish, like I'm basically saying we're all racist and we mm-hmm. are 
all mm-hmm. racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Being racist isn't just like a white supremacist and like being a bad person. Like actually like you have to kind of really try to break apart. Um, there's an author called Robin D'Angelo and she talks around this is a binary. We really have to break apart this idea that if you're good, you're not racist. And if you're bad, you're racist. Um, yeah. Basically, like anyone is racist. You can have racist thoughts. Um, I have racist thoughts still. Like it's, it's, and, and, and it never will really stop this, uh, this necessity to kind of be aware of what's going on. Um, because, um, and, and I think this is another piece of it that we can talk about more, but our biases will continue to influence the way we, we function, the way we make choices, the way we hold our purse closer if a black man comes up to me on the street, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a discriminatory act, right? That's based in my racism that came from a bias that I have against black men. Um, and that's all work then that I need to take ownership of dismantling in myself. I have to really do some work to be aware because I don't want to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's not necessary. Um, you know, I, I actually, because of the news, I find myself more fearful of white men who are bald and in fatigues now than um, I do um, mm-hmm. anyone else right now. But that's mm-hmm. because of all the mass shootings that have happened. Um, so I think, you know, it's, but that's, again, on also a bias, right? Um, I have a dear friend who's white and bald-headed and he's ex-military. Like, so like I have to be, you have to constantly be aware of how these messages are really influencing your thinking. Yeah. 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 I think that's definitely um, somebody, I recently read the term of unlearning. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard, especially for a person of color and a black person and a black woman to really I think in turn also say that we are racist also. And I remember bringing this up to my husband and I was like, we're racist too. Like we sit in our, in our homes and like, you know, we live in a neighborhood that's pretty racially diverse at this point, but we are looking at certain people and be like, Ooh, mm, ah, mm, ah, mm." you know, like based on biases that I was raised with, whether that was out of fear or out of protection. And I think, even when we talk, I think we both have a different view. Like sometimes I'm more from the fearful aspect and Brandon's more from the protector and sometimes vice versa. Like he's trying to be protect, um, fearful for himself. And I'm like, well, I have to protect, you know, my home and my future family. And this, this group of people, from what I know, I know they're going to be doing this, but like kind of that unlearning of like, well, why do I think that? Where did I even get that from? Like, where did I encounter this? Is this from one experience is this from one isolated experience or is this from what I've been fed to believe Mm -hmm. um but yeah I I agree I think that 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 saying of saying like we are all racist is definitely a hard pill to swallow because like you said we've been taught racism is bad being Mm -hmm. racist is bad if you're racist you are bad Mm -hmm. and kind of unlearning these like boxes that we've put these this terminology in because that also came from a biased place as well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. I think oftentimes, yeah, we view it as extremes of like, if you're racist, that means you wear a clan hood yeah. and a cap mm-hmm. and you want to burn up people's houses and kill them in the night. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's so far extreme. And yes, there are people that do that. But yeah, racism is something that's pervasive for all of us. So it's mm-hmm. just very important to establish that, um, that 
early on so that we all can do some self-awareness. Right. And I think one distinction that I'm, I'm hearing in our conversation that I should say is that um, you know, we all have racist thoughts. And unless we're working against that, then there's kind of like no neutral. Dr. Kendi is, um, Ibram Kendi is the one who put this idea out. It's like, you can't not be racist. You're either um, racist or you're anti-racist. So there is no neutral. There is no like, I'm not racist, don't worry about me. Like, um, you have to be against it. Otherwise, then you are through your neutrality for it because racism oppresses one group and benefits another. So I will say that like there's a whole discussion around like, can black people be racist? Um, so Oh yeah, I've heard this. Okay. Yeah, so that, that's yeah. that's something else to consider. I think um, is that you know racism is a form of oppression, and so can people who are oppressed be oppressive? Uh, I think you know. I think again, it's it's this idea that we have racist thoughts. So I, I know there's a big call right now in the Asian community through our Asian activists for us to dismantle our racism and show up for our fellow people of color. Um, so I think you know, um, we all have these things going on inside of ourselves and it's really asking ourselves whether or not, is it benefiting me in some sort of way and oppressing and not benefiting someone else? I think that was very prevalent for me. And I mean, this goes back to when there was a lot of the talk of immigration and like really thinking about something that I didn't think about honestly before, like I didn't, I don't, I don't know why this never really occurred to me or like was something that was present to me, but thinking about like, this is another group of oppressed people, you know, like kind of yeah. acknowledging like, you know, as growing up in a black household, like it was constantly fed to me about like black history and like what we go through and segregation and, you know, desegregation and civil rights and these things. There's a whole, like you said, kind of thinking about how are we showing up for the oppressed in a situation like that. And I think that's really, that was when it was really prevalent, like, holy cannoli, like, this is way where, and I mean, this was what, still happening now, you know, like, just things that, you know, maybe aren't happening in my world, but are affecting, like, how did that benefit me? How did that, or how did that, you know, shape how I grew up? And like, why wasn't I thinking of that? Why wasn't that taught to us? Why weren't we learning about this situation happening? And I think maybe Megan has a different perspective growing up in Texas, but like, I think that's also something that I'm far north, like, you know, I grew up far north in Connecticut, but like, yeah, that, that thought of how do, how do people show up and be present for others in these situations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, very good points. As you were speaking, I was thinking, yeah, I grew grew up in Texas and we have a large Hispanic population. A lot of people are Mexican. Mm-hmm. Um, also in California, same thing because we're oh, so yeah. close the border of Mexico in both states, but um, Texas is also a red state and uh, a redneck state a lot of times. Some some people wear that title with pride, but uh, I've definitely heard the whole gamut of just inappropriate comments about what's going on with the border. But um, as you said that, like you said something about how does that benefit me? It just made me immediately think about a lot of times when you see other groups of uh, minorities, no matter if it's race, religion, whatever, uh, going through something, I feel like sometimes it 
feels like it can benefit you because it takes the pressure off of you. Yes, like so, at least that's we don't have to go through that. Like you know, we don't like, have to mm-hmm, yeah. on somebody else. And so yes, I feel yeah, Evan, with the whole like Muslims were just being yeah attacked, and we have this whole legislation happen at you know at our airport. Okay, we're back had some technical difficulties, but now we also have an adorably cute baby in the room. So if you hear any adorable noises, that's not Megan enjoying a biscuit. It is literally <laughs> cute baby <laughs> being adorable. Winnie. Hi, Winnie. Okay. So we will try to pick up from where we left off. Yeah. So I was just speaking about how, uh, how attention on other groups of people can benefit your group if you if you will um speaking about muslims after 9-11 how all the attention was on them and it was you know such deep intense negative attention that um people wanted individual muslim people to speak for the whole religion which was just you know wildly inappropriate but um it Belief, and you know, I was young at the time, but it was like, wow, okay, at least they're focused on something else and they're not mm-hmm. focusing on blackness. Um, but now, as an adult, it's just something I definitely want to be aware of and really fight against um, using that negative attention on other groups of people as a benefit for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, boo, right. <laughs> Winnie agrees. She literally agrees with everything you said. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think realizing that phenomena and being aware of that, that break, I think speaks to one, like how heavy it is to live day to day in America as a person of color, um, especially as a black person. Um, And then I think you know, secondly, it also highlights like the need for us to not um, kind of go for the easy out, even though we're tired and it's so hard, you know, to, to make sure that we're resting, but that that rest doesn't come at the cost of someone else. Um, I remember like wearing a safety pin around that time to like highlight that, like, I'm a safe person. You could sit next to me. And like, I think um, those small acts of allyship are are kind of like in a big spectrum like of what we can do to support people and maybe you only have the energy to put on a safety pin or maybe you have the energy to make phone calls or maybe you have the energy to like go to the airport and like protest like Mm -hmm. um i think there are so many different ways that people can show up Mm -hmm. um and i would say like push I think uh, pushing out of your discomfort zone to show up is key. You know, you can't be anti-racist without being uncomfortable. That is mm-hmm. like a main tenant that most of the anti-racist writers say is like, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that introspection, that applies for introspection, like that look inward on ourselves, like what you're doing, and you're realizing that, you know, that that mm-hmm. benefited you in that moment. And, um, and then also like, all the action that comes after that should be a push out from our comfort zone. And I think that's like really spoke to me because I think sometimes there's a lot of pressure to, as a black person, to be very present when it's time to show up. And I think sometimes it's hard. Like you said, like it feels like, okay, well, I'm supposed to be at the marches. I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be doing this. But I think, you know, it depends on where you're at as a person. I think it depends on where you're at in your life and your 
mindset. Like maybe I'm just not ready to show up in this place. Maybe I'm not ready to show up at MB if there's a March at City Hall tomorrow. Maybe I'm just not ready for that right now. Maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm ready to be there for somebody who needs to talk. Maybe I'm ready to be there for somebody who needs to cry. Maybe I need somebody to be there for me if I need to cry. But I think there's different ways, like you said, to highlight that we can show up and also be present in different ways especially as a person of color. Like, there's not one expected way. Like, I don't need to be the person that's going to go out in March. Like, I don't need to be the person that's going to, you know, go right to, you know, the senator or, like, do that thing. Like, I think there's important steps we need to take, but I think there's, you take your steps when you're ready, and I think it starts with being ready to be uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. No, I think it's okay. And I think it's, I think Winnie's asking, where's the music at? I think it's time for, because I mean, you know, we can talk serious, but I think we always still need some Megan's music corner, Megan's music corner, Megan's music corner today. Hey, hey. Um, I want to mute your mics you can because i'll be talking for just yes. a second okay um this artist that i picked today is from houston so i picked it for a variety of reasons most y'all know i am from houston um so i selected this artist his name is zero um in a little bit of solidarity with uh mr george floyd who was murdered this past week he's also from houston um so zero <laughs> If you are from Texas, you probably know this name. Texas, Louisiana, you know this name. He's a rapper, um, been in the game for years, and this song is actually kind of old. Uh, it came out in 2006, which is wild, because, yeah, I was like, I definitely remember going through this in high school. Uh, but the song is called Thug, and what I like about this is Zero kind of flips the 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 meaning of thug so it's t.h.u.g and it stands for true hero under god he's not a christian rapper at all so don't listen to this song and then go get his whole discography mm. shocked and appalled by the language okay <laughs> <laughs> so, that out there okay but this song he he did give up cussing for this song um so we'll play a little bit of it i will get to the point. Um, hold on, let me put this on my speaker. Wasn't ready. <laughs> put it on your speaker, girl. Get the volume going. Put it on my speaker. So yeah, um, what I like about this is he kind of talks about stereotypes that he's experienced. Uh, we're from Houston. We like to wear grills and gold teeth, etc. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So he's talking about being stereotyped for that, being stereotyped as a thug, even when he's not actually committing any crimes. This is the chorus. Just a man trying to stay safe. Tell us where they're taking me. I swear it's so amazing. Every day I see my people in poverty, and when I say my people, I mean everybody I see. I know discrimination on Caucasian, the Asian, the Mexicans, the more Indians that they gave in. Everybody got a day to die, they won't miss it. Better be ready for something, but they're gonna visit. Man, I wish that we need when they've been in the garden. Not a devil's Homes are being murdered by the wind that you saw. like weeds, we are rooting for the Tony Day Harvest. Searching for sunshine, suffocated by darkness. Looking for protection, they call it Jeffrey Fortress. They tell me when I make it, there'll be no more pain. They gotta be nervous about somebody knowing your name. Everybody in the family, we love around you. There's 
So that's just a little snippet of it, but I do highly recommend this song. There's just so many lyrics that I could pull out. I'll definitely put it in our stories, but um, you know, at the beginning, the very beginning, he says, 24 seven, I'm in trouble for nothing to the laws on the topic. It's daily discussion. Blood pumping and rushing, I gotta struggle to survive. I'd be rapping, but I could do it with a nine to five. As long yeah. as it's legal, I'd be willing to try. All I need is a pair of wings, I'll be willing to fly. Um, so I, I just feel like it's a story that a lot of black men especially can relate to. Uh -huh. um, but still uplifting of like, hey, we can make it. We just gotta keep going, keep doing the right things, like uh -huh. we'll get there eventually. Um, but yeah, I just really like how he says, no discrimination on Caucasian or Asian, Mexican, Samoan, lesbian, or the gay, um, because we're all in it together. And uh -huh. like we were talking about before, this is kind of all, all of our responsibility to, uh -huh. to make things better. Yes. Okay, Zero from Houston. I've never heard of you till today, but <laughs> okay. It's a I different a different style down south so i will say mm -hmm. a lot of i used to bump him all the time in california my friends would be like what is this <laughs> i love it <laughs> yes that's a very I've, I've never heard of him but i think that song and i think it's very timely especially using the word thug but that's a different topic but yeah that yeah. is definitely very timely <laughs> <laughs> But I think also kind of bringing to like, kind of bringing it full circle. So in the first half, we talked a lot about just bias and different terminology came up. So I thought since while we had hope on, because some of those words, I think people think they know what they mean or they've heard them and like maybe kind of like also with the term of being racist, like I think the terminology kind of has gotten lost in like what society deems it to be or what we've been brought up to believe the words mean. Yes. So I thought we have words with friends, but today we have words with hope. Ooh. Ah. Sorry guys, this episode got a little longer than we anticipated. So tune in for a bonus episode of words with hope coming soon.